There's gonna come a time when giving up looks like the only option. When the problem looks unsolvable, the enemy seems unstoppable. When defeat looks inevitable, but you can't give in. Regardless of the odds, regardless of what life throws at you, God has taken you through too much to leave your side now. Let what was meant to destroy be your strength. Take what the world meant for evil and watch God work it for good. Well, hey, everybody. Man, it's so great for us to be together at this online service. You know, all week I've been talking to people who are saying two totally opposite things. Uh, one group is telling me how much they miss our worshiping together. We can't wait to get back together. Man, we really miss being together. And the other group are saying how thankful they are that we're making these hard choices that enable us to keep the most vulnerable people in our church, you know, the oldest and the youngest folks, safe as we navigate our way through this COVID-19 pandemic. And you know what I think? It's beautiful how people are holding those two principles in tension, you know, wanting, you know, to move back to public service, which we're really excited about uh, in August, and then also feeling the need to put the weak ahead of the desires of the strong. And man, if you were at our family meeting on last Thursday night, then you know what our new plan is. Unfortunately, though, many of you found it impossible to log into that meeting because a local Wi-Fi provider blocked our website for some reason. Now, thank God we've got a crew of IT geniuses here who found a way late Saturday night to make sure we weren't blocked on Sunday morning. But I'm telling you, one of the hard things about being an online-only services is that a third-party provider can clip the members of our church without, with no warning. And let me tell you, it's happened before and it'll probably happen again. However, at that family meeting, we announced that we're pushing the resumption of our public services back to September 23 and 27 because of this recent uptick in COVID cases uh, in Georgia. And if you want to hear more detail about that, the video of that meeting is available on demand at our website, uh, and hopefully you can get to it now. But until we're all back together again, man, please remember that your generosity and honestly, your creativity are both making a huge difference in the name of Jesus. Now, I saw this week where one of our mission teams, you know, did what followers of Jesus just normally do. Man, they found a way to do the best of things in the worst of times. Now, their mission trip to the Ability Ministry up in Knoxville, Tennessee was canceled because of the COVID pandemic and all of that. And so our students just found a way to encourage the folks who are involved in that ministry. It's a ministry to adults with, you know, physical and mental disabilities. And so our students just set up a Zoom call so they could talk to the residents that they met last year and they've been staying in touch with. You know, all these folks are sheltering in place, but, you know, they've visited with these folks. Man, they sang some of their favorite songs with them. Uh, you know, they prayed for them on Zoom. And I'm telling you, man, the leaders of that ministry said that our students were just super encouraging to these folks, you know, that are quarantined. And yet it was like the love of Christ was just reaching out of them uh, through the computer screen. So, you know, this tech stuff, you know, can absolutely drive you crazy, but it can also deliver the love of Jesus. And so, you know what? Well, we're willing to endure the one uh, so we can leverage the other. But you know, the truth is tough times don't last, y'all, but tough people do. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. Amen. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I was in college, I was exposed for the very first time to one of my favorite theologians, a guy by the name of Dr. Rocky Balboa. 
<laughs> you ever heard of this guy before? Uh, now, Rocky is no Solomon, but I appreciated what he had to say in one of his movies, and I can't remember which one it was. It was either Rocky 36, 37, something like that. But here's what he said. He said, let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. I mean, it's a really mean and nasty place. And I don't care how tough you are. It will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, nobody is going to hit you as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Man, it's about how much you can take and keep moving forward. Now, let me let you in on a little secret. Even without the Holy Spirit inside and a relationship with Jesus to, to draw on, there are millions of people like Rocky and other folks who have faced big problems with courage and resilience because they had a bigger why. Now, friends, you know that resilience is that capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. I mean, it's, a, it's about an inner toughness. And the story of Joseph teaches us that, man, when God is in us, we can prevail through any trouble. And friends, that's the why behind why followers of Jesus are so resilient. Man, we got a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, a light in the darkness, and he is with us. Now listen, man, when you start studying the theology of spiritual resilience, studying theology is different when you have to put that theology into practice. Now, realistically, we know that bad things happen to good people. Uh, I talked to someone today who's grieving just enormous loss. But let me tell you, Jesus grieved enormous loss. Happened to him. It's going to happen to us. Biblically, we know that God can use difficult times to make us stronger. We would all say the time we grew the most is when we went through some terrible thing. Relationally, we can encourage people to face setbacks, to, you know, hang in there and keep your chin up, man. And, and God will be with you even if you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But listen, man, keeping your focus on God in troubled times stops being a theory and it becomes practical in our own lives when we're the ones facing it. Now, you know, you can dismiss the whole COVID thing. You can dismiss wearing masks and all that stuff until you have a friend, you know, uh, like my buddy, who's a military guy, who's a volunteer here at the Henderson campus, runs one of the cameras for us. You know, when we get back to open uh, public services, he'll be running a camera. But right now, that brother is in ICU fighting COVID-19. And man, I hope you'll pray for him, pray for his wife, pray for his four kids. That's who I'm praying for. But let me tell you, spiritual resilience is a practical thing for that family right now. And to help us develop this attitude of spiritual resilience in troubled times, man, we're going to look again at the life of Joseph, you know, who is an Old Testament hero that we meet in Genesis 37. He's 17 years of age. And man, he experiences this crazy cascade of calamities that, that he just did not see coming. It seemed like everything had been going so well for Joseph as a young man. I mean, he's good looking. He's intelligent. He's young and strong. He's got the talent to lead. But we're going to study how life just fell apart. Look at this now. Life just fell apart for Joseph. Next screen, please. Temporarily. Temporarily. Now, that's a pretty big word, especially for us in our day. You know, I just read a list of the 20 worst global pandemics in history. Anybody want to guess how many came to an end? Every single one. Every one. And so just like Joseph, we're going to face troubled times that will pass. 
But how we live and how we think until they pass is either going to make a difference, you know, through our lives for Christ, or honestly, it's going to make our faith look irrelevant to a watching world. So open your Bible with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter uh, 37. Uh, I'm going to pick up Joseph's story in verse 13, where we left off last week. And let's look at some of the trouble that Joseph had to endure with spiritual resilience. Now, in chapter 37, verse 13, Joseph's dad says, Joseph, you know that your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Now, just please allow the history lover in me to just nerd up for a minute here. Take a look at this satellite shot, will you? Now, Joseph and his family lived uh, up here. This is the area of Shechem, all right, right up in here. And then they got into some trouble. His brothers got into some trouble, and they had to move down to Hebron. And this is where they live in here. But they still got this family land up here, okay? And so they're grazing, you know, their sheep and all that business up there. And Joseph's dad says, hey, I need you to go from Hebron, which is about uh, 20 miles south of Jerusalem. It's uh, 14 miles south of Bethlehem. Okay, I'll stop with all of that. But anyway, I want you to go from here to Shechem. I want you to, you know, check up on your brothers and see if they're doing the right thing. Now, friends, this is where Joseph meets the first trouble he's got to endure. Joseph's father fails him. His dad just lets him down. Jacob sent his son into a hostile environment, totally unprepared and totally unprotected. Now, we talked last week about how dysfunctional Joseph's family was. And if you missed that message, it's on the website. You ought to check that action out. But I'm telling you, sending Joseph alone to check up on his brothers, dude, that was a horrible decision. I mean, he had 10 elder brothers who hated him because of the partiality Joseph was shown by their dad. But the bottom line is, they hated him because they all came from a messed up family. And some of us know exactly what that's like. You know, I spoke to a friend this week whose family is openly antagonistic to him because of the blessing of the Lord on his life. They're mad at him because he's a godly man. His life changed for the better and they're ticked off about it. They're mad at him because he worked really hard and got a great education. They're mad at him because his family is not dysfunctional. Now, this guy's a part of our church. He's a godly man from a troubled family. And let me tell you, Joseph faced exactly the same thing. In fact, the Bible says that his 10 brothers, they couldn't even say a good word about Joseph. And Joseph's father, I mean, Jacob had to be totally disengaged to not discern the dangerous sibling rivalry in his family. Now, you know, if you have kids, some sibling rivalry, bro, that's just normal. All right. I mean, if your children are not bickering about what show to watch on TV or what toys they're going to play with or what side of the car they're going to sit on, they must be asleep because I'm telling you, my kids are really good at that. But the sibling rivalry in Jacob's home was not normal. As a matter of fact, it was extreme and it was dangerous. Now, Joseph is the youngest son and it is 10 against one. And those 10 older brothers had a reputation for brutal violence. Now, <clears throat> I'm basing that statement on Genesis 34. Tragically, you know, there was only one sister in this family and her name was Dinah. And a local ruler up in Shechem became obsessed with her, forced himself on her, raped her. It was a horrible thing. And you know, there was an appropriate way to deal with that back in the day. But Joseph's brothers had no interest in that. They chose another path. It was a path of anger and rage and fury. Man, if you look back at chapter 34, verse 25, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked 
the unsuspecting city. They killed every man in that village. And then the sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and they looted the sister where their sister had, the city where their sister had been defiled. And they seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything of theirs in the city, out in the field. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and all their children taking as plunder everything in those houses. Now, Joseph's older brothers were not interested in justice. Dude, they wanted vengeance. And so they robbed and vandalized and abused and murdered and kidnapped and kind of seemed to enjoy it. And then when, in verse 30, when, you know, Jacob, their dad, finds out about it, he hardly says a word. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't discipline them. He just said, guys, this is a really bad political move. Man, the optics on this are going to be terrible. People in this area are going to hate it. We're going to have to move. And that's when they moved down to Horeb. Now, those are the guys that Jacob sends Joseph to go check on. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Jacob, bro, what are you thinking? Now, before we move on from there, isn't it amazing how difficult it is for some parents to be objective about their children? You know, their children get into trouble and there are parents that take the kid's side against the teacher. I had a mom tell me one time here at church, my son would never lie. <laughs> I was like, are you drunk? I mean, really? I don't know any boy who wouldn't lie. Dude, you've got to teach kids not to lie. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of hard conversations and discipline. I'm telling you, there are parents that make excuses. Oh, I know what he did was wrong, but you know, his heart is so good. Or they're just sowing their wild oats. Really? And you plan, you, you, you're praying for a crop failure, right? Mom, dad, please. If you start seeing warning signs that your student is on a dangerous path, please don't look the other way. Don't ignore that. Man, if a school teacher or a youth sponsor or a police officer says, hey, we got a problem with your child, Man, don't just immediately assume that authority is wrong. Sometimes they are wrong. But you know, it could be that your child needs a course correction and God is giving you the chance to address it right now before it gets a lot worse. Friends, if your child gets in trouble and they say, honestly, honestly, mom and dad, it's the first time I ever smoked weed. I pray to God. I, I swear to God. <laughs> Here's a little parenting pro tip. Now, in my experience, and you know, pastors have a built-in lie detector, right? You know that. In my experience, anytime anybody tries to strengthen their argument by saying, I swear to God, they're lying. They're lying. I'm just telling you, man, maybe not every time, but I just assume they're lying. Now, if they say, this is the first time I've ever shoplifted. This is the first time I ever said I was going to go to one place with one group of friends and I end up going somewhere else with another group of friends. Listen, parents, you should be suspicious of that. I mean, you're only hearing about this because it got caught, right? And so their word has lost some credibility. Man, please look at your family situation as realistically as possible and then deal with it. Jacob didn't. Wrecked his family. I mean, let me ask, what's your goal? I mean, parents, what is your goal? I mean, you want to raise popular kids, successful kids, spoiled kids, or godly kids? Because if you want godly kids, you got to teach godly principles. Man, you got to confront ungodly behavior and you got to apply godly discipline. <laughs> Man, I got one son spent his almost his entire sophomore year on restriction and should have. 
Imagine how differently things might have been for Joseph if his dad had confronted his sons and that raid on Shechem. And I can just hear those boys making excuses right now. But daddy, they raped Dinah. What if Jacob had said, I know, I know. And that is a wicked, violent, ungodly crime. And I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life and all my money and influence to bring justice to that wicked and violent and ungodly crime. But the solution is not for you to commit a wicked and violent and ungodly crime because violence begets violence, right? Not justice. Now, sadly, Jacob didn't have Deuteronomy 33, 35 yet. You know, the passage that Moses wrote that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 12, where the Lord says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Jacob never taught his boys those principles. He never taught them that truth. And so his boys grew up with no spiritual vision. And let me tell you, they lost their way. How differently things might have been if Jacob's sons had wise, spiritually engaged parents who believed that God's way is always better than the world's way. Now, friends, Jacob was completely naive about the potential evil that lurked in the heart of his own sons. And so he sends Joseph to go check on him. And that was a decision that Jacob would regret for the rest of his life. Consequently, the next trouble Joseph has to face was abuse and betrayal from his brothers. Now, man, Joseph's brothers betrayed him and brutalized him. Look at verse 13. It says in verse 37, verse 13, I'm going to send you on a mission, Joseph. I want you to go up there to check them and check out, <laughs> check them and check out those boys. All right. And you know what Joseph's response was? Very well. Okay. I mean, you kind of expect Joseph to say, Dad, I don't want to go up there. Dad, that's a long way. My brothers don't like me. They hate me up there. Please don't make me go. But Joseph doesn't say any of that. He is cooperative and reliable and conscientious, plays ball. And listen, those are the very character traits that God is going to use to elevate him and bless him in his life when God you know, gets him promoted to the prime minister's office in Egypt. But look at verse 14. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, he couldn't find his brothers. He asked a local resident if they had seen him. He said, man, they've moved on from here. I heard him say, let's go to Dothan. And when he heard they're in Dothan, I mean, Joseph could easily have just turned around and gone back home and said, dad, they weren't there. They weren't where you said they would be. Or when he learned they were up in Dothan, he could have said, well, look, I've done what my daddy asked me to do. I am not going all the way to Dothan, Alabama to chase down these knuckleheads. But he didn't do that either. Look what he does. Joseph goes the extra mile. He gets the job done. You know what Joseph is? He is a leader who always does more than expected. And that's what all great leaders are. All great leaders are that way. They just always do more than expected, right? Now, <clears throat> verse 17 says, so Joseph went after his brothers, found them near Dothan. And friends, what I'm getting ready to read for you is one of the coldest scenes in the Bible. I I'm telling you, man, Joseph's brothers they see him coming in the distance <clears throat> and they recognize that special coat of many colors. And while he's riding up across the plain, you know, they, their spiritual stronghold of bitterness and resentment starts bubbling up. Look at verse 18. It says they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. 
I mean, he, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come on now, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns and say, well, you know, I guess a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see about his big fancy dreams. Now, have you ever noticed how a mob will sink to the level of its lowest participant? I mean, you get a bunch of people drinking too much in a bar somewhere, they will do stuff and they will say stuff that they would never do on their own. And this group of 10 brothers, they're dangerous because they're egging each other on. Hey, here comes daddy's little pet. We'll just take him out. That'll shut him up with his big dreams. And then another one says, yeah, and we could throw his body in one of these cisterns right here. Nobody would ever find him. And another says, yeah, and we could soak that special coat he likes so much in, in some blood and take it home to daddy and tell him a lion killed him. And they're just revving each other up. There's only one brother, Reuben, who's the oldest, who tries to hit the brakes on this thing. Look at verse 21. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. He says, uh, he's trying to reason with crazy people now, but he says, let's not take his life. Let's not shed any blood. Let's throw him in the cistern here in the desert and we'll just leave him there. We won't even have to lay a hand on him. But Reuben said this to rescue him from them so he could take him back to his father. Now, apparently, Reuben talks him down off the murder thing, and then Reuben leaves, thinking, you know what? I'm going to circle back after the rest of these jokers leave, and I'm going to come back to this sister, and I'm going to get Joseph out of there. I'm going to take him back home to dad. He'll be a little scuffed up, but at least I can save his life. Look at verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern, and the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Now, let's just stop here for a second. What has Joseph got to be thinking right now? You know what it is. Why is this happening to me? What in the world is going on? I mean, sure, I've had some disagreements with my brothers, but they're not trying to scare me, dude. This is for real. They ripped his coat off and tore it to pieces. They beat him like a dog and threw him in that cistern and then laughed at him for begging to help, for, for help to get out. And I mean, here he is bruised and bleeding and crying for help, and they're looking down on him, and they don't give a rip. Joseph doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. And then look at verse 25. As they sat down to eat their meal. <laughs> Y'all, that's a cold family right there. You know, I'm going to beat my brother up, throw him in a cistern, and then let's have some barbecue. All right. Now watch this. Because this is where God is going to save Joseph's life. God is with him and God is going to save his life. Now it doesn't look like that. To Joseph, it looks like the worst thing that could possibly happen is getting ready to happen. But we're going to see that the sovereign hand of God is going to intervene and get Joseph out from under the hands of his crazy brothers and position him where he can not only be blessed, but he can bless the whole world. Look at verse 25. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh. And they're on their way to take them down to Egypt. This is like a big bunch of semis, man, going down to trade in Egypt. And Judah says to his brothers, hey, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. I mean, after all, he is our brother. He's our own flesh and blood. <laughs> Here comes that compassion, y'all. Instead of killing him, let's just sell him to a bunch of human traffickers. And so they pull him out of this cistern and they sell Joseph to human traffickers for 20 shekels of silver. And they take him to Egypt and sold him as a slave. And in verse 31, it says, they got, when they, then they got Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat. They dipped the robe in its blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, hey, dad, we found this robe. How about take a look at this and see whether it belongs to your son? They didn't say my brother. 
See if it belongs to your son. Now let's hit pause and let's think about this for a second. The brothers did not overtly lie to Jacob, did they? But they did intentionally deceive their dad. And parents, you got to get smart about this. You, you got to watch for this. I would encourage you to treat any form of deception like a lie. And don't think your kids are above it because I know I wasn't. <laughs> and all of you that I know, I don't think you were either. And I know your kids aren't. So, of course, you know, they deceive their old man. Jacob recognizes the coat of many colors and he is just overwhelmed with grief. Look at verse. The next verse says, it's my son's robe. Man, some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. And all of his sons and daughters came to comfort him but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning, I'm going to go down to the grave for my son. This is going to kill me. I'll never be able to survive this grief. And so his father wept for him. Now, let, <clears throat> let's go to school on this family. Friends, the lack of spiritual leadership in this home created some cold-hearted kids. Now, if that's what you want, you follow Jacob's example. If you want something different, you got to do something different. Not one of those 10 brothers would move by compassion. Their dad is weeping his heart out. He is just destroyed with grief. Not one of those 10 brothers came to comfort him. Not a one of them said, Dad, I can't stand to see you weep anymore. I got to tell you the truth. Joseph is not dead. He's alive. We sell him as a slave in Egypt. Let's go get him. No, no. Nobody said that. And sadly, Jacob's lack of spiritual leadership put his family on a path that led to a cold, sad place. Thank you for not taking that path. You know why I say that? Because you're watching this service right now. Man, listen, I know this service is not the same as it is being here on one of our campuses. I know you miss the energy of our church when it gathers. And listen, I do too. Listen, I'm tired of preaching to a camera. I want to see some of you guys. And I know you're missing the way the Holy Spirit you know, can just hit you at church in ways that it's just not the same coming through a computer screen. But can I just say thank you for doing the best of things and the worst of times. Man, your kids are watching you watch this service. They might be running around like a bunch of wild Indians. But listen, they see what you're doing and it's having an impact on them. Your friends and your family are watching you sing. They might be laughing at you singing because you can't sing worth a lick. But you know what? That's okay. They're still seeing you make an effort to worship the God that you say you love and do that. It will mark them. That will mark them. And man, I hope you're helping your students connect with our student and children's ministries because I'm telling you, our team is working hard to connect with your kids. Friends, everything you do to put Jesus at the center of your family is a firewall against the kind of selfish, hateful resentfulness that we see in Jacob's family. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for making that effort. I'm telling you, God will bless what you're doing. But friends, listen, ironically, God uses these slavers to save Joseph's life and get him out of that madhouse now, of course, you know, to Joseph, it looks like things just got worse because Joseph's captors dehumanized him. I mean, they bought him like a piece of property. They bought him like a slave. They treated him like a possession. I mean, he goes from the penthouse to the outhouse, man. But you know what? God was with him. God was. With him. Now, let's hit pause for a second here again. Have you ever noticed how quickly life can change? 
Man, if you told me last December that we would be online only for five months in 2020, I would not have believed that. But it happened. And let me tell you, that's how life is. You can get up in the morning just like any other morning and then something happens and the rest of your life is different. You discover a lump on your body and you fear it's cancer and it is. Your supervisor says, I need a word with you. And they say, we don't need you here anymore. Uh, you find a text on your spouse's phone and it's obvious they're cheating on you. You get a phone call. Dad had a heart attack this morning. You're driving alone. You know, ordinary day and a truck turns left in front of you and the next thing you know, you wake up in ICU or you wake up in front of Jesus. You know, Job says, man is born to trouble like the sparks fly upward. And here's Joseph, <laughs> brother, 17 years old, young, healthy, wealthy, pampered by his father. And all of a sudden he is tied up on his way to a slave market in Egypt. I mean, look at verse 36. It says, meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Now they tie him up, transport him like an animal. Take a look at this map. They take him from up here in Dothan all the way down through Egypt, across the Sinai Peninsula, all the way down to Abydos, which is near Luxor, uh, which is where the Valley of the Kings uh, is located. And this is, where, this is where Ramses II is the Pharaoh of Egypt and Potiphar is his chief of security, all right? Now, even though he travels what seems like halfway around the world to him, God is with him. Friends, God is with him even as he is being changed, you know, transferred from one owner to the next as a slave. Now think about it. If you, if you got to pick who would buy you as a slave, who would you pick? Now, I, I, that's a terrible subject, but you know who I'd pick? A rich librarian. Can I get you a book? Can I read one to you? I mean, I'll be glad to, you know, I'll be glad to serve. You know who he got bought by? He got bought by the head of the secret police of Egypt. I mean, the chief executioner, some translations make it, a tough guy. This guy, listen, if you're a slave, you don't want to be bought by a guy like Potiphar because he knows how to beat people into submission. And if he buys a slave, he's going to treat you rough so that you learn to show some respect quick. But turn over, turn over to chapter 39, a couple of chapters to the right. Turn over to chapter 39 and look at verse 2 and let's see what actually happened because God was with him. God was his way maker, miracle worker, light in the darkness. Man, look what happens next. In verse 2, it says, the Lord was with Joseph and he prompted. What? I thought you said he was a slave. I thought you said he'd been sold. I thought you said he was in a dangerous house. Yeah. But you know who was in that house with him? The Lord was. He prospered. He lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Why did God bless? Why did he prosper? Two reasons. Number one, because God was with him. Number two, because Joseph went to work. Dude, he worked hard. Now, you know, Leslie Flynn in his book, God's Man in Egypt, points out that Joseph could have just gone around saying, I don't speak Egyptian. I don't understand what y'all saying. These aren't my kind of people. I didn't ask to come here. I don't deserve to be treated like this. I was a free man. I shouldn't be a slave. Joseph didn't do any of that. You know why? Because God was with him. Apparently, Joseph believed that God was with him. And so he chose to make the best of a bad situation. He learned the Egyptian language. He showed respect to the culture. He listened and learned from the people. He worked so much harder and smarter than anybody ever expected that he found favor with his master. And so in chapter 39, verse three, when his master saw that the Lord was with him, what? The lost 
ungodly, brutal, ruthless master can look at Joseph and realize, hey, the Lord is with this kid. Yeah. When the master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his master's eyes and became his chief attendant. You know, J. Oswald Sanders says, when you walk with God, there are marks on you that even the people of the world can see because God is with you. He's marked you as his property. Now, as we bring this uh, message to a close today, I want to share a song with you. This has been a great encouragement to me. It was written by a compassionate Christian who has endured a lot of pain, happens to be one of my sons. And he discovered that God was with him as he went through the hardest things he'd been through in his life. Take a look at this thing. I think you'll enjoy this song. And then I'll come back later and we'll finish this up. Darkness haunts me again today So confused have I lost the way And if you're there I can't see your face I don't know, I don't know Sometimes it's hard to believe Help me in my own Sometimes it's hard to be free Help me in my unbelief I've tasted truth and I've eaten lies Turned away just to realize In my soul I just can't deny What I know this I know Sometimes it's hard to be free Help me in my unbelief Sometimes it's hard to be free Help me in my unbelief
Isn't that great, y'all? I'm telling you, Joseph didn't understand why. He didn't know why this happened to him. He didn't know why he was there. But he was spiritually resilient. And that meant there were things nobody could take from him. There was faith nothing could take from him. There was hope that nothing could take from him. He lived with the confidence that God was with him. And man, God rewarded that. He rewarded that. You know, back in 2002, there was a movie that came out called Black Hawk Down. Uh, and in that movie, U.S. soldiers are fighting, you know, to establish freedom and peace in the nation of Somalia. Uh, it's based on a true story. Many of you guys were there at the Battle of the Moog. I mean, God bless you. We appreciate you serving and all that. But I'll tell you, in one scene, the troopers are ambushed in a Humvee. And I mean, just vicious gunfire is spraying everywhere. And then one of the soldiers yells out, I'm shot. I can't drive. And then his colonel shouts back, everybody's shot. Get up there and drive. And can I just offer you that same gentle encouragement right now? I mean, we're in a mess. And maybe you're thinking, man, I'm shot. I'm wounded. I'm hurting. And can I just say, everybody's shot. This is a global pandemic, but God is with us. So get in there and drive, man. Get in there and lead your family. Get in there and reach out to people in need in our community. Man, get in there and be the church right now when it means the most, when the days are the hardest. Friends, we descend from people like Joseph. So we will not be defeated or discouraged by a virus or fear or anything else. So do get in there, get in there and drive. Stay resilient because we serve a God who is with us. He is with us and they can't take that ever. You know, James is the brother of Jesus. And he said in chapter one, verse 12 of his book, blessed is the one who perseveres in a trial because having stood the test, that person will, will, will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him because he is Father, thank you. Thank you for the resilient followers of Jesus who make up Compassion Christian Church and for all the other folks, Lord, on every other continent who are watching us today. Thank you, Father, for that resilient spirit that arises when we focus our heart and our faith on the fact that you are with us. Pain can't take that away. Confusion, scarcity can't take that away. Upheaval can't take that away. Viruses can't take that away. I pray, God, that you would just continue to build the spirit of your church. Lord, that this resilience will just cause us to shine like stars in a dark night when people, Lord, when this pandemic is over, I'm praying, God, that people look at your church and say, man, they were doing the best of things in the worst of times. And Lord, if there's anybody listening to me today, no matter where you may be, whatever, what city, what state, what nation, what continent, if you're here today and you just feel like, I don't have that power, maybe you don't. And I just pray in Jesus' name 
that you will get on that chat and you will just tell somebody, I need that Holy Spirit. I need God to be with me. I am dragging. I need help. And Lord, I just pray that they will know the help is on the way. And Father, when they reach out to you, that they will know that you will reach back. And I pray, God, that you will bless everyone who reaches out to you today, Lord, in Jesus' strong name. Amen. You know, this week, I had the privilege to speak at a funeral of one of our retired children's volunteers at East Campus. Melissa sacrificed so much to serve here at Compassion until her health wouldn't allow her to. She fought hard, was so strong, and so resilient. You know, I said at her funeral, until you meet adversity, you don't know your strength. And much like Joseph, adversity helped him recognize that strength, that God was with him. As we close today, I want to ask you to take just a couple minutes, write down these next two questions that I'm going to mention, and maybe sometime this week or, or maybe even right now with the people that are near you, answer them. The first one is this. What hard thing happened in your past that makes you stronger today? And number two, can you remember a time when you realized in the midst of a time of trouble that God is with me? Man, I hope that you will share your answers this week and that you'll let the faithfulness of God be your testimony. We can't wait to see you. We'll see you next week.